This morning, uh, I was praying. Each Sunday morning, there's a group that prays over me as I come. And uh, I was so encouraged, and they were praying uh, for the church and praying for the encouragement of God and the lives of people. And I just want to say, if you, if you want to serve somewhere, they meet, uh, there's a pre-service prayer that meets online, and you can be part of that. Just, uh, just uh, email info at Springvale and say, can you give me some information on that pre-service prayer? I want to be part of that. Uh, it's open for everyone, but especially those of you that really have a gift of prayer. This is a great place to serve. And by the way, we're meeting tonight here for a corporate prayer meeting as well. So I want to encourage you to set aside the time for that. Anyway, I was, I was, being, I was so encouraged by what they're praying. And I walked into the church and three different people just kind of encouraged me and picked me up just, just by being themselves and just by their, their love for God. So first of all, I was encouraged. I was walking through the overflow, and thank you for all of you that are out there in the overflow, because last week we said, as we're filling up, now we don't know how many people are going to come each Sunday, sometimes there's room in here, sometimes they're not, and I just said, could you do a la- act of love and pick one Sunday a month and go sit out in the, the overflow to, for your brothers and sisters and for new people that may be coming so they can be in here, and, and the thing was full. And I was so encouraged by that. And a, and a mom with her daughter came up and said, we're, we're just choosing, this is our Sunday of the month. We're going to be here. And I'm, that was so encouraging to me that somebody actually picked up the challenge and, and uh, said, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll take my turn out here. So thank you. That was the first encouraging thing. And then I came and I saw one of our elders and his wife, Tom and Shelley, baptizing Naya, their daughter. And I thought, like, it's really cool that Naya's obeying God. And, and that's the spirit of obedience that Jesus is talking about in the passage we're going to talk about. But for me as a pastor to have one of the key leaders of this church, one of the key couples who serve faithfully in this church, shepherding this church as an elder and his wife, they are shepherding their own family. And for me, I'm like, wow. I mean, it's real for them. And so I'm sitting there all encouraged. And then uh, Ron gets on the video. Uh, we support Empower Ministries. We support, I think it's six or nine church planters in Ethiopia through Empower. And then you blew me away because we did this. We want to get Bibles for these people who have come to Christ. They don't have Bibles. They can't afford them. They can't get them. And so we thought, man, if we could raise like twenty dollars or $25,000 you know, and, and send out Maybe uh, that would be, my, i got to do my math on the top of my head, it would be about 8,000 Bibles. I thought that would be incredible to send out 8,000 Bibles to people in Ethiopia and help them grow. Who knows where the seed of the Word of God, what it produces. And you blew me away, $76,000, giving 20, I think he said 23,000 people, 23,000 families, so even more than 23,000 people, because be, they'll give a Bible per family, uh, will be receiving the word of God, the fruit. Like, it just blew my mind. And I was so encouraged. So I, I just want to praise Jesus for the work he's doing in the lives of individuals like Naya and her family, in the lives of you who gave faithfully, for those of you that are taking your turn in an act of love. That is incredibly encouraging to me as a pastor. So let, why don't you join with me, because I want to praise God for that. This isn't in part planned in the service. I just thought I really wanted to praise Jesus, and since I'm standing here, I'm going to. So let's pray. 
We uh, are grateful to you, Lord Jesus, for the work you do, the big things, the small things, the decisions, the gifts, the obedience. These all recognize that you and you alone are worthy to be followed. Now help us walk in the way that you call us to walk. I thank you and praise you for the good gifts that you have given and shown today. In your name I pray. Amen. You know, sometimes you read a book and there's a story in the book and for some reason it sticks with you. And uh, I read this story 20, 25 years ago and I always remember this story. The author was writing about a story that had happened in his church. Uh, a young man in their church was sharing his faith with a friend and uh, they were both in their 20s and, and eventually over time that that the other young man who, who hadn't received Christ chose to become a follower of Christ, uh, prayed the prayer that Naya referred to, the ABC prayer. He admitted that he was a sinner before God. He believed that only the death and resurrection of Jesus could pay for sins. And then he chose to surrender his life to Christ. And so he did that. This young man in his 20s, I don't even remember his name, he, he prayed to receive Christ. And then shortly after his conversion, he went to work and he asked if he could see the boss after work, and he went into the boss's office, who happened to be the owner of the company, and he said, um, I just need to tell you that I have become a follower of Jesus. But before I was, over the last couple of years, I have cheated on my timesheet, I have stolen uh, company property and resources and used it for myself, and I, th there were times when I intentionally slacked off from my work. And so I need to tell you that because I'm a follower of Jesus now and I shouldn't be acting that way. And since I stole from you, I need to confess that to you. And I, I totally understand if you fire me and you let me go, you're completely justified in doing that. But I just gotta pour my heart out uh, and tell you the truth. And, but if you want me to stay and work off free, I'll work hours free, extra hours, I'll work for free till I pay off my debt. I'm willing to do that. I just leave it in your hands and he turned around and walked out of the office. Now the writer of the book also knew the owner of the business and the uh, owner of the business said, you know, I've had a number of people who have worked for me who claim to be followers of Christ and we're followers of Christ, but none of them have had the impact on me that that young man had, that he would come into my office and be totally honest about how he ripped me off and apologize and offer to make it right. He said, that has spoken to me far more than any other words that anybody has ever said to me. Because when we obey Jesus, people see Jesus. That, that we are called to share the gospel of Christ through our words, but if our works don't match our words, then our words are empty. And Jesus calls us to be salt and light. We're starting this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, and he starts it by saying, you are salt, you are light for me. You're the ones that will preserve salt, preserves, you'll preserve the knowledge of God in our culture. It's not preserve the culture, it's preserve the knowledge of God in our culture. You'll make people salt, makes people thirsty. You, you'll get, you will make people thirsty for God, and light shows truth, 
and you will be truth and show the truth. So as you obey me, how do we do that, Jesus? How do we be salt and light? You obey me. And as you obey me, people will see me. And that raises a question, well, what did Jesus mean by obey? And so then he launches into two, three chapters of here's what obedience looks like. If you're going to follow me and walk in my steps, here's what I'm asking of you. And we started last week, and we're going to pick up now in the next part of the sermon. And we're going to talk about three things really today. We're going to talk about um, lust, we're going to talk about leaving, and we're going to talk about lying. Three areas that are alive and well in our church as well as our culture today. And Jesus is going to say, in these three areas, here's how you, if you're going to be salt and light, if you're going to obey me, here's what it means. Okay, strap your seatbelt on. Remember I told you that some of the things Jesus said is going to be awkward at times? This uh, passage may make you feel awkward uh, at times. Jesus says, you have heard it said. Now remember, he started that with murder. You've heard it said, don't kill. And, uh, but I tell you, you know, if you hate in your heart, and he went in, interior on them. Well, he does the same thing here. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Everybody knew that, that that was, that's almost a universal through all cultures of all times, that to, to take another man's wife or another woman's man is to be, is wrong. Even if they never saw the Bible, it's wrong. And so the Bible's pretty clear on this one. You're not to commit adultery. And people say, if I just don't commit adultery, I'm fine, right? Well, Jesus says that's not what true righteousness is. But I tell you, if anyone, anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if you're going to follow me, it's not enough just not to commit the act. You've got to have a pure heart. I worked at a, a Christian resort, Elam Lodge, uh, in my 20s. I was the lifeguard, and so I was at the pool every day. And uh, I remember one guy, came, one, on one week, they, people came in weeks, and uh, he came down, and he would come down every day and set up his chair and sit there for hours. And, and so, uh, you know, somebody keeps doing that day after day. You start to talk to them, and we got into a discussion, and he said to me, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm telling you the truth. This was his view. He said, I, I said, uh, you'd love coming to the pool. He goes, I love to come down and watch the women. And I'm like, first of all, I can't believe you're admitting that. And secondly, don't you think there's something wrong about that? And so I kind of referred to this passage, like what I remembered of it, because I was still just a brand new Christian. And he said, no, 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 no. Look, God created women and he made them beautiful, and I'm just admiring their beauty. And so if I don't touch them or have sex with them, then, then I'm not sinning. <laughs> and and I, I was, you know, I didn't know my Bible that well, so I was stumped for an answer. I wish, what I wish I had have said to him was, why don't you bring your wife with you? So he was justifying and saying, hey, as long as it's nothing external act I do, I'm okay. But this whole verse says, no, 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 no. If you're going to follow me, obedience to me means dealing with lust in your heart. That it's not okay how you think lustfully about a woman or a man. 
It's not okay to have sexual thoughts you're playing on a loop in your head about another person. In fact, remember that verse I couldn't get last week, if you were here last week, I referred to a verse and went to try to find it and then got panicked and couldn't find it. Well, I did find it, it was there, and uh, this is the verse I want uh, you to see how Jesus looks at sin. He said to his disciples, uh, are you so dull? Don't you see? Now he's talking about uh, eating meat and how that the Jew said, uh, the culture of the day said that made you unclean. And Jesus goes, are you so dull? Don't you see that whatever you put in your mouth goes into the stomach and then goes out of the body? It doesn't make you unclean. Food, the food you eat doesn't make you unclean. But the things that come out, not the things that go in, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. And these are the things that defile them because in your heart, when you are uh, contemplating and thinking on and fondling and pondering evil thoughts like murder, adultery, here it is, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. When you, when these things are in your heart and you let them stay there, they produce actions that are unrighteous. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile anybody. Now, I don't think I have to convince you that this is an issue in the life of our culture. Well, let me say it another way. I don't think I have to convince you that this is an issue in the minds of people in our culture, nor the minds of those of us sitting here or watching online. That we are sexual beings. We were made that way. God made us that way. And sin has really impacted us so that we now use our minds to lust. And the thing is, nobody knows, well, I shouldn't say that. It leaks. Believe me, it leaks. But people really don't know what you're thinking. And so it's safe to let, the, you know, let it play out because nobody knows. And let's face it, it's rather enjoyable. That's why we do it. And Jesus looks at us and he goes, you know, if you want to follow me and you want to obey me, then you need to not just take care of external actions, you need to take care of the heart. And he's rather severe about it. Look at what he says next in relation to adultery. He said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so Jesus, I don't think, is advocating a literal translation of this, these words. Otherwise, we would all be one-eyed, one-handed people that have come to worship. I don't think that's what he means. He is using exaggeration to make a point that we should, we should be severe in our treatment of lust. Now, here's a question. Questions unlock the Bible. Why does Jesus say, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand? Because the eye and the hand are the parts of the body we use for lust. 
He knows it. And so he's referring to those things through which we, we move and act on lust. He says, deal with lust in your life in a severe manner. Gouge it out, cut it off. Now, again, that's not literal. He's saying just be severe. So what does it mean to be severe? Well, I don't know all the things. I can just tell you three words that to me deal with lust severely. The first word is pray. Now, at first you go, well, pray. Like, how, that's not severe. Well, the moment you begin to lust after somebody, start praying to Jesus. You will either lust or you will pray, but you will not be able to pray and lust at the same time. And the reason I say that's severe is because we don't want to stop it. And so to take a step when it begins to happen and pray is a severe step because you're changing your heart and your mind away from what it wants to, to lean into. I guarantee you, you be sincere in your prayer the moment lust hits. And you will not follow the path of lust. You will follow the path of God. Now, the longer you wait to respond with that severe step of prayer, the less likely it is you will respond to it. That's the first severe word, pray. The second is confess. Now, I don't mean confess to God, though you need to. I mean, let's face it, if we're sinning, we need to confess to God. But how many people are on this endless cycle of, you know, pornography and lust and then sorrow, God, I'm so sorry, pornography lust, God, I'm so sorry, da-da-da-da-da. And it's just like this wheel that goes round and round because all we ever do is confess to uh, uh, God. And, and it's easy to tell God one thing at one moment and then go ahead and do another. He'll forgive me anyway. Confession is the act of bringing light into darkness. It's opening up. So I would say dealing with it severely is confessing to someone else or someone else's that they know what's going on and you want to really get severe, then make a bond between the two of you that you will text that person every time you're being tempted to lust. I mean, sometimes it'll just be a stream of, man, alive, this guy's going through a hard time. But you, you cannot keep telling somebody that you're lusting and keep doing it. You will either stop being honest with the person or you'll start to overcome it. You, you can't do both again. You, but that's severe. I'm not going to tell people what I'm thinking in my head. Yeah, go ahead, get that safe person that you can tell and act severely. Start praying about it and start telling somebody about it. You've got that tool in your hand all the time. Use it. The other thing, word I would say that's severe is deny. Jesus says this, if you don't deny yourself, take up a cross, you can't follow me. And so deny yourself, deny yourself that screen time. Deny yourself the hiddenness, the secrecy with which you act in. Deny yourself a TV show or a movie in which you know the rating tells you there's going to be things on that you shouldn't be watching. Deny yourself the right to go on your computer alone or without some sort of app that reports. Like Greg, our youth pastor, has a number of different youth that have a, 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 an app on their computer and their phones that reports to him every month what sites they went on. And it highlights the ones that maybe shouldn't have they went on. Denying ourselves. 
Now, I'm sure there's other things you can do, but that's not a bad start. And the degree to which you want to obey Jesus will be the degree to which you put this into practice. Now, unless you misunderstand me, believe me, this is a lifelong battle. So this isn't going to be one and done kind of thing. You're going to have, you're going to fight. Sometimes you're going to lose. Sometimes you're going to win. But as you fight and you deal with this severely and not just take a pass on it when it happens to you, as you take a step and deny and pray and confess, as you deal with this, you you will start to gain victory in your life over it. It's a long-term battle, not a short-term. But if you want to follow Jesus, that's what he's calling you to. Let me just say this. If you're not following Jesus, really, you're under no obligation for any of this. This is for people who, like Naya, have said, I want to surrender my life to you. If you're kind of thinking about it, I'm telling you, these principles will really help you and protect you and keep you from a lot of harm. But as a follower of Jesus, you don't have a choice on this one. Jesus is calling you to this. You're disobedient if you don't follow through on this. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to pursue purity. Because Jesus says, purity not only honors God, but it's good for you and me. It protects us. Okay, if you're listening, that might have felt a little uncomfortable. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now, it feels a lot uncomfortable. Do something about it. Jesus moves on. So that was the lusting part, now the leaving part. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, what I find interesting about this, well, there's two things. One, wow, what, some, what a statement to make in our culture today. And um, I know some of you are going to feel uncomfortable with Jesus' words and what I'm going to say about Jesus' words, but don't shut down. Listen to follow Jesus. The other thing I'm going to say is what struck me about this uh, as I spent time on this passage was he is speaking to men, not women. I thought, well, why does he speak to men? Well, I I think because in this male-dominated society, uh, women were not the ones who would initiate divorce. It was too costly for them. It was men that would initiate the divorce. And it was believed by the culture that a good man, if he was going to divorce his wife, would give her a certificate of divorce. And I kind of wonder, why is that? So I went to a commentator, and and the commentator said, because if a a good man gave a, a certificate of divorce, among many things, it also meant she was free to marry somebody else. Now, keep in mind, women did not have the economic opportunities that men had. Very few jobs, very few places would take a single or divorced woman to work and pay them. They really didn't have a lot of opportunities. The two greatest ones were prostitution and get married to somebody who had some money that could take care of them and their kids if they had the kids with them. So divorce put women in a terrible terrible financial situation, not to mention the emotional situation that they were in uh, in this day and age. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, give her a certificate of divorce, but I'm going to tell you, eh, that doesn't cut it with me. 
Because if you divorce your wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, so there is an exception, and that I don't have time to go through that exception right now, but that exception is there, and there are others in Scripture. But generally speaking, Jesus says that if you, man, divorce your wife, you become a moral pimp. You make her the victim of adultery. And if you, another man, marries a divorced woman, you're committing adultery. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus speaks these words. He also speaks them uh, in other places. And in another place, we get the, record, the, the record of his disciples that are sitting around. Remember, his disciples are sitting there listening to all this going on, and they go, wow, if that's the way God sees marriage, it's better not to be married. And Jesus says, nothing. They get the point. The expectation of God for you in your marriage and me in my marriage is that not to choose divorce, but to choose him. Remember, he's talking about the heart. So what is going on in the heart of a couple that is getting divorced? They're choosing self, not God. I can't take, no, please, I'm not saying marriage should, you know, your marriage should be easy, and divorce is just, you know, you should never do it. I mean, you know, why would you ever do that? I, I, I get it that marriage is really hard, and some marriages are really bad. And so does Jesus. And yet Jesus' words are, there's another way. Just because you're ready for divorce doesn't mean God's ready for you to be divorced. Now again, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it means to obey him. In another uh, church that I was a pastor of, there was a man, I'll call him Bob. And here's the kind of street cred Bob had in the community. If you want to see a Christian, Bob... He's a real Christian. Bob was a businessman in that community, and he, uh, you could always count on his word. And you could always count on him being true and kind and compassionate. And he was a very wise businessman. But the cred on the street was that he was really a Christian. And one of the reasons people said that about him was he got married when he was younger, and his wife, after they'd been married for some time, began to develop mental illness issues. And as they stayed married, as they were going through life and they were getting older, her mental illness issues became worse and worse and worse until it became almost unbearable for him to be in the house and dangerous for him to be in the house. And so when the, he was well past middle life, his family said to him, you know, maybe it's time for you to uh, put your wife in an institution that can handle her uh, because this is really, a, really hard on you and, and um, it would be best for you and for her. And, and they were right. And yet, Bob's response was this. I vowed to God I would care and protect for my wife no matter in riches and, and, and poverty and health 
and sickness, I would do it. And I vowed to her I would do it. And I'm not putting her in an institution. I will do what I have to do to take care of her. And for decades, he endured because of his commitment to God. And the cred on the street was, you can trust that man. He keeps his word. Now, that's, by that story, I'm not telling you, you should never use a mental institution, or you should not, you know, well, I'm not trying to tell you how to deal with mental illness. I'm trying to tell you that that man, Bob, leaned into Jesus rather than taking the route that his emotions and people around him told him to take. He chose to lean into Jesus, and there wasn't a more godly man in our church than him. That somehow through this commitment to keep his vow with God and to, to, to care for, keep his vow for his wife, that somehow through the pain of all that, he found the strength to do it, not just for a year, but for decades, and he stayed faithful, and he changed, and people looked at him, and when they saw him, they saw Jesus, even non-Christians. Now, I understand what I'm implying to you because some of you are in a really difficult marriage. And you don't know how long you can last. But Jesus says, lean on me, come to me, and I will give you what you need for today and then tomorrow. I'll give you the wisdom to know how to handle your situation. I'll bring people into your life that will give you hope. Just endure with me. Lean on me. Don't lean on yourself. Don't try to get through this in your own strength. Lean on me. That's the only way you're going to get through what Jesus is telling us is the route that he calls us to. Now, I want to take a second and talk to those of you that are divorced. Because now you might be, I'm going to guess if you're divorced, you're feeling really guilty right now. Like, oh, I blew it. And you're, you want to shut down. But remember I said, it's going to get uncomfortable at times. Just stay open, listen for God before you make any decisions. What are you supposed to do? You already made the decision to divorce. And it wasn't because of sexual immorality. You didn't really, when, you, when you're on with yourself, you go, I didn't really have an excuse. I just, I couldn't take it anymore and I did it. So what do you do now? You're like, I'm a total failure now. Look at this. I came to church to be called a failure in the most painful area of my life. Well, I just want to say to you, first of all, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Um, it's not like you, you know, you're over there and everybody else that sins is over here. It's like we're all sinners. We're all sinners. You know worse, you know better. Jesus deals with sin. So what do you do if, if you got angry at your spouse and, and ripped, a, you know, word, said words that were really cutting and mean, and then you, you, you read the scriptures that says, be angry but don't sin. What would you do? You blew it. What would you do? Or you had gossiped about a friend of yours and you read the scripture says, don't slander or gossip or cut down other people. What would you do? Well, Ed, I would confess, and then I would do what I had to do to make it right. Because I can't undo what happened in the past, what I've already done. Exactly. And so when it comes to divorce, I, what do you do with this? 
Well, if it's because you had the exception, then this doesn't apply to you. You had the exception and you took the exception and that's the route that you follow. But what if you didn't have the exception? What if you did divorce and you shouldn't have according to this passage? What do you do? Well, you say to God, I blew it. And I caused a lot of pain. And we were in that together, but I was part of it and I blew it. So God, I confess and now show me what I'm supposed to do about this. What's my next route? Seek God. Don't shut him down. It's not like he hasn't dealt with sin before. That's what the cross is all about. That's the effect and the power of the cross that no matter what sin we are engaged in or have committed in our lives, the cross and Jesus is greater than the sin that we have done. And if we're willing to surrender and submit to him and seek him, he will guide us about what is the next step. I don't know what your next step is. But I know this, as you seek him, and by seek him, it always involves at least three things. It involves prayer, it involves getting into the word, and it involves speaking to people of, who are godly and getting godly counsel. Saying, this is the reality of my life. What do I do now? Some of you may have been hiding this and avoiding this for years. You're wasting time. God, God knows what happened. Now trust this brokenness with him and say, I need healing. And, and the people I've hurt need healing. What do you want me to do? That's the grace and truth of Jesus. He calls us out of our sin, and then he gives us the grace to deal with it. Remember, before you write that email to me, these are Jesus' words. Uh, one more. Oh, I got nine seconds. <laughs> well, let me just read the scripture and make one real quick comment. Again, you have heard it was said to people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath either by heaven or God's throne or the earth or the footstool or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head or you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In a world where people did business deals, marriage proposals, they made agreements, they sold and bought things and made agreements and all that, but they didn't have, most of them couldn't read or write, and even if they could, they couldn't afford very expensive uh, writing utensils and tools. So what did they have? They couldn't write it down, they had to have the, an oath. And so they, how do I know you're telling me the truth? I'll take an oath. But you think everybody that took an oath kept it? So they would make other oaths. Well, if you, you know, if you, if you pinky swear, man, you could never break that. And people broke it. And Jesus says, forget the oath. Just let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Tell the truth. And if this word was around then, I think Jesus would have said it. Tell the truth. Duh. Just tell the truth. When you can't come into work, make up some story, just tell the truth. 
when you want to return a TV after Super Bowl? Tell the truth. See if they'll take it back. Or the dress after that great wedding or that event? You want to take that one back? Tell them the truth. Just tell the truth. Be people of integrity because when you start exaggerating your words and saying things to protect what's really in your heart, you're like the evil one. So stop with the oaths, stop with the exaggerations, stop with the excuses and the lies. Just tell the truth. If you're a follower of Jesus, tell the truth. Now, don't get me wrong, there are times to speak and times not to speak. We don't have to say everything that comes into our head. But if to withhold it is a lie, then tell the truth. And when people want to know the truth, tell them the truth. Be gracious and compassionate when you do it. But stop lying to people. If you're going to follow me, I'm looking here. Not so much here. I'm looking here. Now, these three things have caused more pain in this church when people lusted, when they've lied, and when they've left. They have caused more pain in our lives than I think any of the other things we're going to talk about. And some of you, many of you, are bearing the hurt and the pain of these things, and some of you have been the perpetrators of these things. And Jesus is calling us out. Say, be people of purity in your heart. Deal with lust severely. Be people of your word. When you make a vow to me and to, God, to your spouse, you keep that. No matter what it takes, get help. It's going to be hard sometimes. Get help. Don't walk away. And when it comes to your words, be a person of truth. Stop lying. Stop lying. This is the way. That's why this title of the series is This is the Way. You want to follow Jesus? This is the way. Jesus, your word challenges me. I'm going to admit it right up front. It challenges me and it makes me uncomfortable. And I think my brothers and sisters probably have the same feeling at times. And so we ask for a filling of your spirit, for one victory in our lives in one of these areas to, be, to just trust you for one victory, one way we're going to trust you and move forward in obedience with you, that when we obey you, other people might see you. Pray for purity, not just in the heart of the church, but in my heart and the hearts of each person here, that we would pursue you with all of our heart. Not make our religion about externals. Make it about truth and the heart because that's where you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.